Someone asked in the back as we were getting ready if we were giving out beer today, and I think that was his way of saying that it's, it's nice to see a lot of you here at church. It's nice, good to be together this morning. The McLaren Hospital in Oxford, Michigan, has one of those second-story bridges between the buildings to connect buildings as glassed-in high things. It helps you to get across the street without going outside. They're efficient and sanitary, and in COVID times, as you can imagine, unexpectedly useful to have a way to stay inside and to be seen. Literally, a smooth, straight path designed to address the anticipated problems of the times when it was built, good thing. I'm sure that we have some of these here in Atlanta, um, but I know they're common up north where it gets cold in hospital systems. And I know of the one in Oxford because there was a shooting at a high school in Oxford last week. I'm sure you all heard about it. It was, it was all over the news. A school shooting by a teenager who was clearly quite troubled and needed help. And he was armed with a gun that was a gift from his parents. And I'm sure like you, like me, um, as the story kind of revealed itself over the week, it just became more and more shocking, right? So he has this gift that's an early Christmas gift, and he searches online for ammunition for that gun in school. And it gets figured out in school. People find out. And the parent, um, one parent, when alerted, texted, you know, that it's all right, and texted, LOL, don't get caught. The parent said, texted, LOL. It means laughing out loud, laugh out loud, right? So we saw in the news how that ended. Poor kids in school, teenagers, shot by a peer. One way this devastatingly common incident in our country lived into the week is that under that bridge, between the two hospital buildings in Oxford, Michigan, a crowd gathered to stand silently, waiting in solidarity with the family of Justin Schillings, who was one of the teenagers that were killed in that shooting. They stood on the street under the bridge where the family might see them as they passed through the bridge, which they would be walking through with Justin's body as he was wheeled into surgery through that bridge because Justin is an organ donor. Like a refiner's fire and fuller soap, it says in Isaiah, the world will be made right, the prophets tell us. Many of us are taught to believe that passages like that are about how many Christians there are in the world or something like that, even though that particular message was written by Jews for Jews. Or that we don't have to worry about those kinds of Old Testament or Hebrew scripture readings because they're so brutal, right? And we live in more evolved times, you and I. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I'd be okay with some refining fire right about now. <laughs> and we've got to think about what kinds of things can you imagine that the creator of the universe could be troubled about enough for those to be the words. God, our loving parent, parent of all of us, troubled, troubled enough to rage about. And let's be clear, these are raging words. So I think, although the shillings have powerfully found redeeming acts in a time of utter devastation for them, for all of us, for them, the facts of that story, of each story, 
of people armed up and shooting in our country as though we are in a war zone, or maybe we are in a war zone, tells me that we are in times like the Bible says, the times shall be, shocking in their brutality, seemingly out of our scope to do anything about, troubles bigger than us. And yet God, our God, says we are here for such a time as this, that the good work begun in us will be brought to completion. Do not be afraid, the gospel say, repent and believe, shouts the prophet. I suspect that the images we have today of tearing down the mountains and raising up a valley, the climate catastrophe kinds of language we are hearing from the Bible is about the scale of the troubling nature of our living in all times, in where our Christian solidarity, our standing together, if only to witness, because we can think of nothing else to do, is our part in bearing witness to God's love, to God's broken heart, into the sin-filled world. In today's readings, we hear the names of the emperor and the governor to place Jesus in history. We hear the names of the priests and to place Jesus in his community of practice and identity. We hear names of places to put Jesus in a place, in a geography. It is within a charged and complex set of interactions, just like us, that Jesus lives and teaches. Times like ours with epic struggles of good and evil, evil we call sin, like ours. John the baptizer had something to say about the world that he lived in, and we are reminded in this season that we too must. We too are charged to prepare the way, it says, because we know not when or how, although we sort of suspect, God will come to dwell among us. Where God is always to be found, in the deepest solidarity with the parts of creation abused and cast down by the powerful, that's where God shows up. And that's where we should want to be, under that bridge, bearing witness. So I've wondered in moving here to Atlanta and to this church, to St. Luke's, how we here talk about the hard things in society, in this community, the hard things that tear at the fabric of society, which will also to some degree tear at the fabric of us. It's the nature of things, right? And I don't know yet. I haven't been here very long. And frankly, I've done this everywhere I've gone. I was going to wait until I learn more. Because um, that's what you do, right? But you know, I know it's not like what we see in our public life, demonizing or caricaturing one another. I promise I won't do that to you. Please don't do that to me. And let's not do that to one another. We can do more here. But I also know that we are trained and formed by the culture around us. And it has an agenda. It's not a good one. To hear certain words in certain ways, to categorize one another by the words we hear, to be triggered by them. It benefits a few, and none of us, and definitely not the witness of the gospel. It's probably always been like that, but it is so dangerous if we're simply writing off whole groups of people on any side of anything because the powers that be have told us that we must be enemies, that we cannot be a people, that we cannot care for one another, all of us, and insist on holding together. It is among the most radical things that we can do if, if we do not think that it is the only thing that we can do. 
This last week, our bishop invited the Bishop of Georgia to speak to the clergy of this diocese Wednesday morning about the trial of Travis and Greg McMichael and William Bryan, who were found guilty of murdering Ahmaud Arbery. I learned, and I'm not sure how I missed this before, that some of the defendants, those names I've just said, were known to the local Episcopal Church in Brunswick. They went sometimes. And to some of the folks at our conference center, which is ours as well. We share one with Georgia. Shocking to me. I'm still a little shocked to say it. So I believe it had been published in the Episcopal News Service, and I just didn't take it in because I didn't know what to do with it. I guess too hard to make sense of, like the way that Dylan Roof's family is known to the local Lutheran community where he's from. They were members. They were neighbors. So not some fundamentalist, fringy organization. The main line, Lutherans, like us, right? So we didn't have a lot of time on that call, but I was surprised to not hear about how people were spurred to action, convicted, lamenting, by the fact that one of their neighbors, someone who came to their church sometimes, right, shot a guy for being black and jogging, shot him dead, filmed it, expected nothing further to happen, and the DA and the police agreed until social media forced a trial and our governor weighed in like an LOL, right? My wondering about how we were gonna talk about hard things, I'll tell you on Wednesday, cleared up real fast. If in our desire to not be too divisive, to not fall into partisan traps, that we are essentially LOLing, that certain kinds of cruelty and racism and violence are just how things are. If in our attempts as Episcopalians to stick to Jesus and the inclusive message of love, which I'll admit I really like, we're probably not getting to what Jesus was really about and who we would have to defend in this life so that they can remain alive to be included if they wish in our inclusive communities. We have lost our way. The readings for Advent are a collection of readings that tell us this world is troubled has been troubled, so deeply troubled, that God enters God's creation to remind us of where to look, how to be, what to fight for, in a world in which power seems to always choose division and violence and more power, and a good-natured assent to the emperor. Peace, right? Peace. God chooses something different. And for us to do that, we have to explore how this world works. Why is a teenager seeking to arm themselves, and why is that funny to anyone? Why can an Ahmad Arbery die in the way that he did? Why did those three men think that what they did was okay, or at the very least that they could do it with impunity? Why? Because it has been so historically, and it will be again in this coming year we will see the same events similar in this country, and we know it. Why did black pastors show up to fill the seats in that courtroom in Brunswick? Because moral leadership is to show up and bear witness in that silence of our powerlessness that is so powerful. To turn our face to the truth, even if we have no power to change things that we can understand, build the bridge we can right now, even if it's all we see and it's not enough, and proclaim the truth by our presence. That lost life, that body, those kids mattered. And what are these truths? In this week, John the Baptist, if John the Baptist, 
were on the banks of the Chattahoochee, which I hear is not too far from here. I'm guessing he'd have some cut-off Levi's on and probably a nasty t-shirt, right? <laughs> and you can see the guy. I know you can. And I think he would have to say we must repent of racism, repent and turn, and get in that water for as long as you need before you walk back into your town to do something about it. I think John might say we are armed to the teeth like cowards because he didn't flinch, did John? Human life is valuable and vulnerable and to be protected. Maybe especially those who are intent on harming themselves, which is right now the greatest danger of the way that we are armed. The living, whoever we are, are to be protected. I think John might say too many of us are hungry, unhoused, barely housed, repent and return. So let us. I know we're doing a lot of great things in this church and that's great. Let's do it boldly. Big, big love looks like justice and kindness and mercy, especially to the people who would never expect for themselves justice or kindness or mercy. Those we assume are criminal, callous, guilty. Justice, kindness, and mercy. May the mountains be torn down, the path made smooth, that the path of justice may be revealed. Let us do our part in our time, like those neighbors gathered in Oxford, standing there where a generation before had built a bridge for convenience to solve some problems, that this last week carried that precious child's body to be the hope of life for others. Let our hearts be broken by solidarity with the hopeless, for it is there that we might have a chance at our own salvation. May God bless us with courage and outrage to bear witness to what we know is true. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God.